0: Alright, so we'll just dive into it. Sometimes the best way to approach Scripture is just simply to read it. So, I'll read it for you. You can follow along. Uh, It's there on the screen, of course, or you can uh, look on your phone or in your Bible as well. So Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's where we're going to stop today and next week we'll go on into the rest of chapter 12. And this is a really famous passage of scripture. I'm sure most of us have probably heard this passage before. I know even our Memory Madness, uh, Memory Verse program, we have parts of this passage that show up in there as well. But to understand this fully, I think we really have to understand it in the context of what Paul has been talking about in Romans up to this point. Now, we can't understand it. We can pull it out and, and get some meaning out of it, but when we really understand it in the backdrop of what he's just been sharing in the 11 chapters up to this, it really helps us understand. And I think the main contextual point is this. Who God is and what he has done should lead to a response. And I so appreciate it. We were singing about that this morning. Who God is and what he has done should lead to a response. Whenever we read a passage of Scripture and we see the word, therefore, we should always pay attention to therefore from what and so we'll go over that this morning therefore Paul is saying in light of what was just presented in light of what I just shared with you in light of that so what has he just shared with us right? Well, it's important for us to understand what he just shared, because if we understand what was just shared, it might change our perspective. Do you guys ever have something happen in in your life that that sort of changes your perspective? I was thinking about it this week. Um, My parents live in Colorado Springs, and they're um, in their 70s, and they're looking to try to change houses and get into something that's maybe going to last them a little bit longer. They were looking at this house, and they got really excited about this house, and they got really excited about this house, and somehow they they didn't put in an offer, but somehow they got an inspection report. I guess someone else had an inspection report, and they got an inspection report on this house, and they were like, oh, never mind. <laughs> it had all these problems that they really got them sort of bothered, and they didn't want to do it. And so they had to understand the context, right? We all want to understand the context. Therefore, and so that's what we want to do here today, so let's look at some of these this context, things we've covered here on Sunday mornings in the past couple of months. One point that we've covered is the fact that God is all-powerful. He's not just powerful, he's all-powerful. Romans 1, chapter 20, right at the beginning, Paul says, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. God is all-powerful. If he wasn't all-powerful, he would not be God. Right? God is loving, and God has chosen you talked about this a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 9, verses 14 to 16. Paul says, Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Who's all-powerful? God is. Who is all-loving? God is. Who has chosen you? God has. We also learned that we're saved by Faith. As a result of God's grace. Now that faith is not a power that we have over God. God is not obligated to us by our faith. There Romans 3.28. We hold that no one, that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Justified by faith. We don't control God. God offers that choice and we can respond to him. And we're saved by that faith. It's not the things we do. It's not the works we do. We'll talk about that some more later today. And we're talking about it right here, too. We're not saved because of who we are. We're not saved because of who we are. Salvation is for everybody. Remember, there was this problem in Rome where they were like, oh, the Jews were going, wait, but we're the chosen people, and why are these Gentiles showing up, and what's going on? And Paul says in chapter 4, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. So it's all about, do you share the faith of Abraham? Abraham believed. He had faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was not the things that he does. So we're saved not because of who we are or how we're born. We're saved because of our faith. And so then we've seen just the summary of the gospel. And we hear this word all the time in our culture, don't we? Gospel, gospel. What just means the good news? And what is the good news? Well, here's a summary for it on the screen. And you can pick this up all through Romans. One concept, I am utterly sinful and corrupted. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am utterly sinful and corrupted. And on the other hand, at the opposite end of the spectrum is God. And God is Perfect. And God, thankfully, is perfectly just. And so any sort of crime, any sort of sin, any sort of problem, God, in his perfect justice, has to punish that. He has to, he has to set the scales right. But the good news there is that God sent Jesus Christ to fulfill the requirements of justice for you and for me. He did that. He sent Jesus for you and so our choice then is to say, wow, I can receive that free gift or I cannot receive that free gift. God doesn't force it upon us. He lets us choose him or choose otherwise. And that last point there is that it's very clear. We cannot get this. We cannot be saved. We cannot be made right with God by good works, by good things, by just being a good person. We can't get there. Why? Because it goes back to that first point. We're utterly sinful and corrupted. And so there's all this good news for us, right? Paul has just said, here is all this good news. Here's all the good things about God. And God is so great. And God is so big. And here is the gospel. And Jesus has come and paid the penalty for you. And now what? Oh, there should be a response, right? We want to have a response. Like Brad mentioned, I've got six children. And those of you who have children, you understand. Sometimes you have to coach your children in responses, right? They get a gift from somebody and go, now say thank you, right? But most of us, hopefully, who are adults, we know we get a gift and we say thank you. We go, wow, that was great, thank you so much. Well, why? Because a gift requires a response. So Paul says here, have a response. Who God is and what he has done should lead you to a response. But it's not just any response. It's not just uh well, okay. It's a response that needs to be rooted in the right motivations. And that response, our response, should be out of freedom and love, not out of obligation and fear. Right? Paul says, I appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal. You see that Paul is not making a demand. He's not making a demand. If you go back to the Greek here, that word appeal is parakaleo. I think I said that right. Hopefully there's no Greek scholars in here who are going to correct my grammar. Parakaleo, and it means to call from the side of. To call from the side of, right? If you look up the definition, it means to aid, to help, to comfort, to encourage, to exhort... And so I was thinking about this, and I, you know, I'm pick on Corey here for a second. I'll give you an example of the difference of what this could be. I could say, hey, Corey, go get me a slice of pizza. Right? And Corey's probably just like, what, what are you doing? But if I go, hey, hey, man, good to see you. Yeah. Hey, I was wondering, I'm really hungry, and there's some pizza in the back. Would you mind? And go get me a slice. Sure. Yeah, see, there we go. He said, sure, right? So I made an appeal. And that's what Paul is doing, right? He's sitting down and saying, hey, hey, brothers, I'm with you. Let me appeal to you. He's not saying, do this. Do this. He's saying, would you do this? Here is an opportunity for you. And I think it's important to understand that posture that he has. And really, in some ways, you look at Paul, you go, if anybody had the authority to make a demand, it probably was Paul, right? for the Jews, they would have been like, wow, Paul is this very learned Pharisee, this leader from the religious sect. For those, when they were Christians, they were like, wow, this guy saw Jesus. He's like the apostle. He's writing these letters. He's the big dude. But Paul didn't make a demand. And he didn't make a demand, I think, because I don't think God makes a demand of us either. I think Paul is imitating God when it comes to this issue. Because the gospel grants us freedom from rule following. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We've been given freedom. We are free. We are not, okay, now you are saved. Do this thing. Saying, no, I appeal to you from the side of you. Do this. I appeal is very different from thou shalt or thou shalt not, isn't it? When we say, you must do this, we're really breeding obligation and fear, aren't we? But if we say, hey, would you do this? There's freedom and love. And that's what I think Paul is getting at here. And one thing I think is very interesting. I know Brad mentioned we've been talking about this in our team group, talking about other faith systems and other religions, what you're going to find that makes a difference between historical biblical Christianity and basically everything else, is that almost everything else is this sense of obligation and fear. I've got to get right with God. Every other religious way of life does that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible is teaching us. Paul is appealing at a horizontal level, not vertically, even though he probably could have. He's not. And so we could say, Paul is really calling us into a relationship. He's calling us into a relationship. He says, brothers. The Greek for brothers is adelphos, which means siblings. It's not like, hey, bros. (laughs) He's like, hey, my brothers, my relationship. I have people. I think about my kids, and their closest friends are each other. People they're the closest to. They're not going to give commands to each other, Lord willing, They're going to relate to each other as siblings. And that's what Paul is calling us to do because he's saying, hey, this response is out of love. It's not out of obligation. It's not out of hierarchy. It's out of love. And I think Paul is really saying, hey, look, I am in a position of spiritual humility. I am coming alongside you. I'm giving you an appeal from the side. And he's demonstrating that God loves us in a relational way. And I think Paul is saying, hey, this is how believers should relate to each other. He says, hey, you guys, this is how you... I'm not setting up a hierarchy here. I'm going to say I'm coming alongside. This is how we should relate to one another. This is how we should be. We should be co-travelers. You go, okay, so it's not a hierarchy. So what are you doing on stage, pastor? Right? I go, well, that's probably a legitimate question. What is a pastor for? Why are Brad and I here? Well, Brad and I don't see this as a power position. This is not a hierarchy that we've like stepped up and we've stepped on people's backs and shoulders to get here. We don't see this. This is a position of service. And that's what we're always aiming for. And we see that in the New Testament, that that's what the Bible sets it up for. And we even see right here in this passage, it talks about one body and the body has different members. and The members fulfill different roles. This is just a different role. Right? And you might say, oh, well, I know in Hebrews 14, it says, obey your leaders, obey your pastors, and submit to their authority. And I go, well, yeah, it does say that, and we do hold that's true, but who's that command to? The command is to you, it's not to me as your pastor, it's to you. And when it's to you, I go, well, it's not my job to command you to obey, It's your job before God to figure out what that means and how to walk that out. So in that vein, let's bring it back to the personal. Do you see the Bible as an appeal to you? Do you see it as an appeal to you? Or is it just some nice ideas? Is it just some magic words? just got some good thoughts or some good teachings? Or is it an appeal to you? Is it something that comes alongside you and says, Hey, live this way because it's good for you. Do you see it that way? You should see it that way because that's what it is. And if you see it that way, you're responding to God out of freedom and love. If you see it as a book of, of commands, of do's and don'ts, and things that are going to cramp your fun and your style, then you're looking at it out of obligation and fear. And Paul is saying, don't look at it that way, because that's not what it is. It's not what it is. And the second thing I would say is this: Do you see church? Do you see the local church? Do you see this group of people as a group of siblings? Do you look at each other and say, Wow, those are my brothers and my sisters? Or do you really see church as just something to be consumed, as some entertainment, something to show up at occasionally? And I really don't want to get close to those people, and I don't want to appeal to them, and I don't want them to appeal to me. I don't want to have that kind of relationship. Something to ponder there. See, when we respond to God in love and not obligation, we have the right motivation. And so you go, okay, so we get the right motivation for our response. What should that response be? Paul tells us that response is to pursue sanctification. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Sanctification. We've talked about that. This is very simply. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like God. It's the process of becoming more like God. Not that we will ever become God or become gods, but we're becoming more like Him. Why do we want to become more like Him? Because that's good for us. Do you think it's good to imitate the Creator of the universe? I think it is. And we have to ask that question. All right. God's done all this. He's given us the gospel, He's given us the good news, He's reached into our lives. How now shall we live? How now shall we live? And the answer to that is to pursue sanctification. Paul is saying in light of God's greatness, in light of God's gospel, let me encourage you to pursue a life of godliness. How shall we live? Live in a way that is good and acceptable and perfect. It's what we're aiming for. And again, this is unique among religions. It's unique among faith systems. Every other faith system says, oh, I'm going to pursue godliness so that God will accept me. Well, God has already accepted us. God has already accepted us. He loves us. When he looks at us, he sees Christ. We see this elsewhere in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 1-2. Paul says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you see that? Do you see that response? That response is to pursue sanctification. Sanctification, be more godly, be an imitator of God. That's the call to us. Not as a set of rules, but as a response to what he 's done for us, we see it also in Philippians chapter three. Again, Paul talking, he says, "Not that I have already obtained sanctification or I 'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Again, why do we pursue sanctification? Not to get right with God. If you've received the free gift of salvation, you are right with God. So good works and sanctification doesn't get us right with God. We do it as a natural response to his love. It's not easy, is it? If we look at that verse, it says, What do we do? How do you pursue sanctification? Present your body as a living sacrifice. That doesn't sound very simple. Doesn't sound painless, does it? We break that down. Living sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? Sacrifice. Sacrifice means give it up, give everything up. What does living mean? Not dead. (laughs) So somehow we have to walk this out and give everything up and still be alive, still be living. I need to live by giving up everything that stands between me and God. Stand intuitively as Americans. That's a lot here, isn't it? We have a lot we have a lot going for us. And he goes, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give yourself up. How many of us do that? How many of us do that? That's a real heart check for me as I've been thinking through it and praying through it this week. I go, wow, this is really a heart check for me. Have I given everything up that stands between me and God? And I'm not sure I can answer yes. And here's some questions for us to ponder. As we think about things that we need to give up. What about a relationship? Do you have a relationship that would say, hey, you need to give that up because that stands between you and God? If you're married, I'm not talking about your spouse, okay? That's some other relationship where you go, wow, that stands between me and God. What about a job? What about your job? What about your career? Is it taking you away? Is it taking you away from pursuing God? I don't know. What about recreation? What about entertainment? You say, oh, those are good things. Those aren't bad. Yeah, but if they stand between you and pursuing God and pursuing sanctification, God's saying, will you give those up? That's a challenging question. What about money or property or possessions? I don't want to give those things up. I've got a lot of those here as an American. But if it stands between you and becoming more and more godly, are you willing to give it up? That's a challenging question. It's a challenging question for me. How shall I live? How now should I live? Well, according to Paul, our response is, I'm going to present myself as a living sacrifice and give up what I need to so I can walk closer with God and be an imitator of God and become more like God. That is a high standard. That is a high, high standard. And so we'd ask that question, where? Okay, you want me to do this? Where? Where should I do it? Where should I do it? See, many people, especially in America, see this process of sanctification, this process of following Christ as just an individualistic thing. It's just individualistic. Oh, I just kind of go out into my life and I just sort of do my thing and I do it on my own and I, I pull myself up by my bootstraps spiritually. If you ever hear somebody say, Yeah, well, being a Christian is just it's between me and God. It's just between me and God. Yeah, sometimes I hear that, and a lot of times it's just an excuse to be like, well, if it's just between me and God, then I don't have to engage with other people, and I can go to brunch or go skiing on Sundays, right? Okay, maybe that's not the case for everybody, but at some point our relationship with God is, it is between us and Him. My relationship with God is between me and Him, but Paul says that's not where it stops. Paul goes right to the heart of things, and he says, sanctification is accomplished with humility in the faith community. We can't get away from this. We can't get away from it. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what do I mean, humility in the faith community? Well, the first thing there is, of course, give yourself fully to God. We just talked about that. Not partially, oh, I'll just give God a portion of myself. No, give yourself fully to God. Give yourself fully to God. Second thing he says there is what? Reject the world's patterns. Do not be conformed to this world. Reject the world's patterns. Well, what are the world's patterns? I think we know what they all are. We know what the world's patterns are. We know those things intuitively. I've got three questions, things that I ponder on a lot that are trying to help me walk through, out, walk it out and say, how can I reject the world's patterns? Here's the first one. Am I stepping away from the entanglements of the heart and the physical of this world? Am I avoiding debt? Am I overcoming addictions? Am I disconnecting from the overuse of entertainment and being modest in my standard of living? That's one way to reject the pattern of the world. You can ask yourself this question too. I ask this of myself. Am I letting go of the praise and approval of this world and strengthening my identity of being separate and devoted to God in many ways? that's challenging, or am I just trying to blend in with the world around me? And the third question, am I pursuing and growing in emotional health, understanding how Jesus meets the deepest, most shaping issues of my life? Because the culture will tell us the answers aren't there, the answers are out there somewhere in your entertainment or whatever it is you want to do. So the second thing we should do then is renew our mind. Paul says that, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I think we intuitively know this, right? The battle is really in our minds. It's not really out there. It's in our minds, and it's what we're wrestling with. I've been asked that question. What does theology matter? Why do you care about theology? Why do you care about how you think about God? It's just, if you just have Jesus and say Jesus, it's just okay. Can't we just be satisfied with Jesus? Well, theology is how we think about God, and Paul says it right here. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Think right about God. Renew your mind. We need to think rightly about Him because if we don't think rightly about Him we're not going to be sanctified. So then what do we do next? Paul says, For the grace given to me I say to everyone among you think of himself, not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. Ah, here we get into it's something we do together as a group and what's the first step? What's the first thing we have to do if we're going to walk into a faith community? The first thing I have to do is humble myself. I have to humble myself. And so I'd ask you that question, have you ever been humbled by something? I put this picture up. This is not me. It's just a random picture off the internet of Little League. But when I think about being humbled by something, I think about playing baseball as a kid. I was probably, I think I was about 12 or 13, and I was playing Little League. And I was like the best player. It was one of the, one of the best players on my team. And in the like sort of rec league thing that we had, they said, all right, we're going to take the best players from each team and put together the all-star team. And the all-star team will go and play at these tournaments, whatever, right? And I made this team. And I was like, yeah, I'm awesome. And so I got to go, and I played on this team. And we went to this tournament. And we played three games, and I had, I think, 12 at-bats, and I struck out 12 times. And I realized at that point, I am not as good at this as I thought I was, and I was humbled. And maybe you have a similar story of this kind of thing, where you've gone into work, Or maybe you've gone to perform somewhere on stage, or maybe you went on Jeopardy or something like that, and you thought you were really smart. I'm sure nobody went on Jeopardy and did that. And you got humbled because you thought, wow, I'm great, I'm really good at this, but I am actually not. And the truth and the reality shows that my view of me and the reality are very different, right? And Paul is saying, hey, it's not about being humbled by circumstances. What does he say? Humble yourself. Walk into that. I need to go and look at myself and say, Wow, I'm like the kid who struck out twelve times, who's like the best player on his team. Wow, I can't think highly of myself. Have you ever known somebody who just talks highly of themselves all the time? It's really annoying, isn't it? You're just like, come on. Right? But we can't go the other way either. And I love how Paul is very clear about that. We can't be self deprecating probably also just as annoying as like i'm so terrible i'm not lovable i'm so dumb i'm no good at that it's like no he's not saying that he's saying be sober in how you speak of yourself and how you look at yourself but i think the way to help us in this is to say how does god see me how does god see you If we would just take the perspective of how God sees us, I think we would be humbled and say, Wow, I am a sinner saved by grace. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus Christ. And we can step into it in humility and say, Ah, all right." like Paul is saying, Be humble in your estimation of yourself, but always remember who you are in God's eyes. But it's not just humbling yourself. He's saying, humble yourself and become part of the church. Become part of the church. That's what he's saying. And I think he's saying, start with humility because to be committed to something is humbling. It's giving up of yourself. He follows this and says, express your spiritual gifts within the faith community. He says, let us use those gifts if prophecy in proportion to our faith, service, and our serving, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leading, mercy, and so forth. And today, I'm not going to tackle these gifts in depth. We'll do that some other time. There's other passages in the New Testament that talk about these things, and this isn't even a comprehensive list. And since this isn't a comprehensive list of gifts, I don't think Paul's point is to point us to, okay, well, let's parse out what all of these gifts are. I think sometimes our tendency is to get too focused on the what, and we miss the where. I think the real point of this passage is he's saying, where should you exercise the gifts that you have? Where should you exercise them? And he's saying, in the church. And because of that, I want to just present a couple of errors that we make when we think about our spiritual gifts and connecting. The first one is we get very narrow with the how. We look at these gifts, we look at spiritual gifts, we look at our inclinations and our talents and the things God has given us, and we get very narrow We'll say things like, well, I'm pretty sure I have the gift of teaching, so therefore I should be on that stage teaching. We'll say, well, I have all these resources, so I should give where it has the biggest visual impact. I am a leader, therefore I should be in charge of a bunch of people. Right? We kind of can have a tendency to see those things, and if you listen to all those, it's, I have this, so I should do this. I, I, me, me. But Paul's very general about these gifts. And again, in this passage, he doesn't really define what they are specifically. He says, hey, you have these things, exercise faith. And exercise faith in the context of the church. And it makes sense, right? Because like we said, God is so big. God is so great. God is not narrowly defined by teaching. has to be like this picture in front of this big crowd of all these people. And if you don't have all those people, then you're not exercising that gift. It's not what he's saying. Why do we think it has to be in a big group? Why do we think it has to be adults? Why do we think the lights have to be on? Why do we think it has to be a formal setting? Paul is saying, look for opportunities to exercise your faith by doing these things that lead to sanctification. And so my encouragement to you is to look for ways to use whatever gifts you get the sense that you have. Use them where you're at. Don't shoehorn God into a specific how. I think the second error we can make, again, is missing the context of that expression. It's my gift. I need to go where I can express that. And I've heard that so many times over the years of people who say, Well, I have such and such gift, and I don't see how I can use that at this maximum level right here, right now, so I'm going to go somewhere else where I can do that. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think Paul is saying, express your gifts in your local church family where you're at now. And the first obvious item is that you need to be in a church family, (laughs) right? You have to be in one. You've got to say, yeah, that's my church family. When we look at the New Testament, being part of a church is contrary to what we say in America. It doesn't mean filling a seat as an occasional alternative to brunch or other activities, it means being part of it. That's what we're aiming for here as a church, if you hadn't missed that. It means rolling up your sleeves. It means being involved. It means humbling yourself and giving yourself to the work. Now, the second item is, I think you should express faith where you're at. Right where you're at. Instead of running around looking for exactly the best situation... And while it seems like that might be clear, I just know how it is in America. We're all going around saying, well, I'm so consumer-driven, and I want to, you know, this thing or that. Which, which streaming service do I want to watch tonight? Which church is the one that I'm going to be able to do? No. Where are you at? Plug in there and use your gift. I think that's what Paul is saying to us. He's saying we should want to do it God's way, right where we're at. And I think we ought to be clear, too. He says, these are gifts, And it's not just a gift given to you. It's a gift you get to give to others. It's a gift you get to give to others. If you have the gift of teaching or the gift of generosity, you get to give that to others. You get to give that to others. And if we think about it that way, gifts are about who? Or gifts should be about who, I should say. They're about the receiver. They're about the person who receives it. They're not about the giver. My parents have written a book about grandparenting. It's very interesting. They've got this really great spiritual insight into grandparenting. And one of the things they really encourage grandparents is they say, stop spoiling your grandkids and stop giving them all these gifts and lavishing all this stuff because what you're really doing is trying to focus attention on yourself. And sometimes we can do that with spiritual gifts, can't we? We can say, ah, I want to exercise my spiritual gift because I really want to get attention on myself. Well, then it's no longer a gift you're giving to others. You're trying to get attention on yourself. And I think we also would agree that gifts should be given at an appropriate time. Right? Gifts need to have a right timing. We're talking about a right place. was a right timing. Right? What is today, October 7th or something like that? Wouldn't it be weird if I walked up to you and said, Merry Christmas, and gave you a present? You'd be like, ah, a little early. (laughs) Right? Sometimes we get so anxious. and like, well, I have this gift, and I want to exercise this thing, and I want to bring it to bear. And it's like, well, maybe you should just wait until the right season and look for how you can serve and give and live here in this context. And maybe if you do that, the opportunity to do the other thing will come up or maybe not the other thing, some other great thing will come up and you'll get to do that. I've seen it time and time again of people who've said, well, I want to exercise my gift this way and there's not an opportunity here now and so I'm taking off to go somewhere else and literally within a couple months, it's like, wow, if they'd stuck around, this opportunity showed up and here it was. Will you be patient and wait for the season? Sometimes also we just, Hold on to gifts. <laughs> we need to wait till the time is appropriate, right? We just go, okay, I have this gift of teaching. I have this gift of encouragement. I'm just going to hold on to it and wait till that appropriate time because it's really about who. It's about who I'm giving it to. It's not about myself. But I think Paul's most important point here is it's about where it's about where the church is a body and you are a member or you're supposed to be a member he says this, in one body we have many members and the members do not have the same function individually we're members of one another that's the view that's what he's proposing to us and you might hear this oh in one body we have many members blah 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 the head bone is connected to the neck bone and you know, whatever you might think that but I really think Paul is being very clear. And it's not just here. You go to the other places in the New Testament and it's very, very clear. The primary place to express your gifts, the primary place to be sanctified, to become godly, is in the faith community. That's where it is. And you might say, well, can't my gifts be expressed at home with my family? Yeah, they can. Can't I demonstrate... demonstrate faith at work or at the gym? Yeah, you can. You can in those places. But Paul did not say, hey, be an independent faith contractor and just take your faith wherever you want. He said, no, your first and your primary place is in humility in the faith community. It flows from here first. And so many of us get this backwards. Instead of saying, I am plugged in here, I am connected here, I am in my faith community and working together with my faith community, and from that, the outflow of that is going to be blessing other people at work, in the gym, in my neighborhood. We turn it around, and we say, well, this just being part of the faith community is just one sort of slice of the pie. But that's not what Paul tells us to do. We might say, well, I don't like that. And I go, okay, well, maybe you we don't like that, but this is what Paul says, and this is what the New Testament says. And again, we go back to the fact. We go back to the facts, and we say, this is the word of God, and this is the truth, and I'm going to trust that this is the best thing to do. I want to be sanctified. I don't know about you. I want to become more like God. I want to become more godly. Why? Not because it makes me cooler, or because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm getting closer to God. I'm already maximum, maximum loved by God. Why do I want to become more like God? Why do I want to be an imitator of God? Because it's going to make my life better. It's going to help me along the way. That's why we do this. The process of sanctification happens when we connect in humility to the people around us in our church and we look for ways to express faith using God's gifts to bless others. That's the message of these first eight verses of chapter 12 of Romans. And I would say, hey, our question at the beginning, how should we live? This is how we should live. This is how we should live in light of God's mercy and God's greatness. And so I would ask you that question. Are you living that way? Are you living this way? Do you see this? And do you believe this? And have you received this truth from the word? And are you living it out or not? And if not, today's a good time to start, isn't it? Let's pray and I'll be done. Yeah, God, thank you for your word. God, it's hard. It is especially hard in this culture where we're just coached from the beginning to be individuals. Say, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it. Nobody can tell me how. I could click on this and pick that and do that. Yeah, God, you've given us your word and you've given us the truth. And in Romans, it tells us very clearly hey, do you want to become godly? Do you want to be an imitator of God? Do you want to be sanctified and see good fruit come from your life? Then make this first. Be a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. That's your appeal to us. God, it's not even a command. It's not a demand. Just like Paul, you've come alongside us and said, I appeal to you. I offer you encouragement and exhortation. Do this. And God, that's my prayer this morning as I stand here just on a level, just physically 12 inches of everybody else here. Lord, that's my, I just, Lord, it's my heart that it would be an appeal to say, hey. This is a church family, and we have this church family not as a hierarchy or to make money or to make us look good or anything, but we have it so that we can appeal to one another, so that we can be sanctified together, so that we can be living sacrifices together, so that we can have a community a family of humility where the gifts you've given us by your Spirit can be expressed to each other primarily. God, would you help us in that? God, I just get the sense we're swimming upstream. We're swimming upstream in this culture as we face this. We're probably swimming upstream in our own hearts. So God, I ask you to be working in our lives and helping us with this, Lord. And God, it it is an appeal. It's a chance for us to look at this and consider it and wrestle with it. Help us to come to godly right conclusions as we face this. And God, at the end of it all, we go back to the very, very good news that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place. That all we have to do is receive that as a free gift. And we're right with you. You show your love at the maximum level because you put your son there to die in our place to fulfill the justice for the utter sinfulness that each one of us has. Thank you for that. Bless us as we go out here from here today. In Jesus' name, amen.